Welcome in everyone to episode 137 of the Bat Flip Podcast. My name is Damien here with David and Matt. Uh, today we're going to kind of break down our favorite deadlines uh, and then give you some of the results that's happened since the trade deadline. We had a no-hitter happen this weekend. We've had a knockout on the baseball field happen this weekend. We've had some uh, broadcasting, um, I guess, what do you guys want to call it? Broadcasting um, drama. Drama. There you go. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some injuries and then another player returning. And we'll jump to players of the week here at the end. But before we get into all of it, David, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. Uh, my, you know, I think my weekend was nice, a little bit relaxing, did some chores, always good. Uh, but most importantly, I've been watching a very, very fun Cubs baseball team. Uh, and they had a good series against the Braves. Uh, Cubs took two or three. It was really nice. Good games. All around, felt like a playoff series, which was really encouraging. Uh, the, the crowds at Wrigley Field were just phenomenal, uh, you know, and that's kind of that's kind of to be expected at this point in the season. But it's good to have you know competitive baseball back in Chicago. I'm real excited about it. Uh, Matt, how you doing this weekend after you know two losses and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm more worried about losing to the Pirates because we can't beat anybody <laughs> yeah. right now. But um, yeah, it's been bad for the Braves lately. They've been really really bad on the on the mound it, it's been i mean they're giving up like six or eight runs every single night right now to, to everybody so the offense is still good but it, it they really it really frustrated me that they didn't add at the deadline but other than my braves um i've had a pretty good um uh, pretty good weekend it, it, everything was everything was fine i went played golf on saturday for the first time in like a year and i Played horribly and got bit by ants, which I'm allergic to, so that wasn't fun. But um, I, I still, I, I guess, I still had fun golfing. It was, it was a nice day and everything, so good to get outside a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, so um, ready to get into it tonight. How are you doing, Damien? I'm doing all right. Um, had my my back flared up on me this last week, so I basically sat at home all weekend and did nothing. Um, except just watch a bunch of sports and baseball and racing and everything else you could pretty much watch in the sun. I was sitting here watching it. So um, it was a fun weekend watching the Dodgers beat up on the Padres. Um, you know, they are still, well, I guess they took one game on Friday since the crying Kershaw meme. But uh, Dodgers have basically owned the Padres since that point. So that's been uh, a fun development at least. But, um, you know, just really excited to jump into this episode. So why don't we just go ahead and talk about, uh, we each picked one team that we thought had our, our favorite deadline. Um, so let's go ahead and start with David. So David, who'd you pick for your uh, team that had the best deadline? You know, Damien picked me to go first because, uh, because it's his favorite team, but well, it's no, that I... way on the show. sheet. <laughs> but hey. No, but it, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. And maybe this is me having seen the Dodgers put together really good deadlines, really good free agency periods before. Um, but man, just the, the guys, the Dodgers picked up are Ahmed Rosario, who last year was a four plus woods above replacement, second baseman. Uh, this year he's been down. All right. And the, the, the guardians sold low on him. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. They, they get out from under Nolan, no, uh, Noah Syndergaard, who hasn't not, has not been good. He's got like a seven ERA on the season and they pick up a, a young guy who can still, you know, get it done in the, at the plate. And, and he, you know, the Dodgers are in such a good situation that they can go ahead and put him in as, you know, a righty crusher, or I guess he's a lefty crusher. Um, is a Rosario, but yeah, lefty crusher, but they, they just let him play in situations that benefit him and they can pull him when it doesn't benefit him anymore. And it's the kind of same situation that they've taken Jason Hayward and gotten a good season out of him with. So, uh, you know, platooning is something the Dodgers are, you know, optimizing right now and, and getting him getting, uh, Enrique Hernandez, who we know loves playing for the Dodgers on board, getting Lance Lynn, who has been struggling with giving up the home run ball, but because the Dodgers have really good defense, a lot of those home runs could maybe just be solo home runs. And thus far, he's got two starts. He's only given up solo home runs and he's got two wins. So, you know, Lance Lynn's kind of a, a good addition. He'll be a nice, you know, fourth, fifth starter come pl- playoff time for him. He's got some, some swing and miss and they've made clear adjustments with him and Ryan Yarbrough. I just really like the deadline because the, the Dodgers know what they're doing. They they're making some very clear additions where they needed help right in the starting rotation um, against right-handed pitching or sorry, against left-handed pitching. It's 
you know, he's just going to be a, it's just going to be a good deadline for him. I, I think we're going to look back and go, oh, wow, this was the team that kind of added the right players. You know, we know, you know, Kike Hernandez can be a, a postseason, a postseason God. You know, he's the kind of guy who can get hot and go off. So, you know, there's no, not even any question about that. You know, I think we'll look back in October and say this, this Dodgers deadline was really good. And sometimes you put guys in different situations, like you say. I mean, it reminds me a little bit about the of the 2021 Braves when they had to rebuild the entire outfield at the deadline, where they brought in guys who were struggling other places that year, but they put them in situations where they would be better. The Dodgers are going to do the same thing with that deadline. So I, looking back on it, I, I'm not quite as a, much of a believer in Lance Lynn, I think, as you are, but I think that it was, you know, they're going to, those players are going to perform better than they did at their pre- previous places because the Dodgers will use them better. So it definitely was – it wasn't a disaster like a lot of people thought it was for sure. Yeah, I mean it's – like David said, they've had the history of bringing the people in and putting them in the situations to be competitive. Um, I mean they, even if you look just the regular – you know, before the season, they signed Jason Hayward and David Peralta, and they've pretty much made those guys just righty killers, and they've both succeeded very well in that. And then they brought these guys in that to you know help with the against lefties, which were the Dodgers have been one of the worst teams against lefties in the past couple of years, and they've done that. Um, and Lance Lynn, it was really just the pitch mix there. You know, even Yarborough came in had a good start. They just basically told him to stop throwing his changeup, which was like the worst pitch in baseball, but. I'm still harsh on the deadline. I still think they could have done more, but it's, it's turned out well so far, but um, you know, for, for my favorite deadline, I ended up going with the Texas Rangers. Uh, you know, overall you're looking at, they acquired a Roldis Chapman early at June 30th. Um, you know, we, a lot of people don't talk about that move as being a, a part of their deadline hall, but it was a pretty big move to jump on early. Um, you know, Max Scherzer for all his, struggles with you know locating his slider and the way it's bit this year i watched some of his game um, against the white Sox his first start there still wasn't locating very well but i think it was a lot of soft hits in the first inning i think it was like three hits were under like 75 miles per hour and he gave up like three runs there still walked a couple but it's still max Scherzer. and at the end of the day you kind of just bet on that guy um, and, and they had had some rotation injuries already. And then you go and get a guy like Jordan Montgomery and Chris Stratton. Montgomery's a solid guy. is going to go right into your rotation, give you quality innings. And, you know, especially with we are no DeGrom's out. Now what's going to happen with Eovaldi to get another solid guy in there? Chris Stratton is just kind of another bullpen arm. You can never have too many of those. Um, and then at the last second, you know, they realized that Jonah Heim was going to be out. Nobody's going to talk say Austin Hedges is a good hitter, but for what he brings to a pitching staff behind the plate and defensively, um, you know, for what was the international pool pool money there, like I think it's a solid get. I mean, really, you're going to have Sam Huff and Mitch Garver as your main catchers, anyways. But I really, really liked what the Rangers did this year. They kind of went for it not only this year, but you know, kind of setting up for next year with the uh, with the Max Scherzer deal and. They're really trying to take advantage of the the success they've had so far and trying to jump in and make a run at the playoffs. So Rangers are one of my favorite deadlines. Yeah, I, I think it was a good deadline for them. Uh, I really liked the Jordan Montgomery uh, pickup. I thought that was a great one. Um, I think that the um, I, I, I I mean, Rollis Chapman was a nice pickup. I, I'm st- I'm not sold on Scherzer. We'll talk about I'll talk about him a little bit more in a minute, but. I think that they did improve their team, and they had to add starting pitching, and they got two one, two good starting pitchers. So I, I think that that was a, a good deadline for them for sure. Yeah. So, Matt, who did you pick for your favorite deadline? Um, so my favorite deadline was – and I hate to say it, but it was the New York Mets. They, they had a situation where they really needed to sell – because that that roster wasn't working, it wasn't gonna work. It, it was kind of a disaster, and they had two guys who I had said a lot that I did not think were gonna be tradable because of their contracts. I mean, f- both of them owed forty million dollars plus over a couple more years. I thought there was no way the Mets were gonna be able to pay all that down, and and even if they did, I didn't think the prospects they would get back were worth doing that because the pitchers aren't aren't, aren't playing all that well, and well. Not only did they 
get away with not even having to pay like they only paid like half the contracts so they they did get rid of some money off their books but they also got back legit two top 100 prospects and a a couple of other really interesting prospects in those trades um you know moving scherzer to the rangers and moving verlander to the astros and the, the thing is that, you know, Scherzer has a 454 FIP this year, a 404 ERA. Like, he hadn't been great. He's given up a lot of hard contact, a lot of home runs. And then Verlander has a 462 X FIP. His walks are way up and his strikeouts are way down. And he just hasn't looked like the same guy's velocity is down a half a tick this year. I know he, he, he's been pitching better lately and his ERA is pretty good, but he really hasn't looked all that good all year. So, you're kind of getting, giving up guys who are going to get a lot of return for their reputation where you're really building – I mean you're, it's going to do a lot better good to get those prospects back. And then they, they also move guys around the edges too that – like David Robertson, they moved for a prospect. They were able to get rid of um, – they were able to move Tommy Pham for a, a decent prospect. So I thought the Mets did a really good job of having a good sell-off and getting what they could for Scherzer and Verlander, which was a lot more than I was expecting. And um, I thought it was a very successful deadline for them. Yeah, I, I think it's a solid deadline for the Mets if they're really trying to get into this kind of two or three years down the down the line. Scherzer and Verlander weren't going to help you at that point either. Um, you got a, you know a good prospect in Luis Haniel Acuna um, and, and a couple of the guys they got from. Uh, uh, from Houston, you know, Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, they're two two guys that could come into that outfield in the next couple of years and be be helpful. So I really like what the Mets did there. Um, if they really are trying to push for two or three years down the road, which who knows if Steve Cohen's really doing that? He could have just said all that, and then this offseason he's going to go spend stupid money again. Like who the heck knows? But uh, anyway, so since the deadlines happened, uh, you know, there's we just wanted to talk about a couple of the teams that either went for it or didn't really go for it and have kind of struggled. So uh, first and foremost, Arizona was, I believe, leading the division at the time of the trade deadline um, where they were within one game there, but they have not won a game since the trade deadline, which is a week ago now. Uh, Their big acquisition of Paul Seawald blew a save. I believe it was in uh, Minnesota in his first appearance uh, for Arizona. Um, The Reds really didn't do much since the deadline. They're, one and six. Uh, they hadn't won a game since last night. I know they're leading right now. When we started it, they were in the seventh. But um, you know, and then the big one is the Angels. Uh, you know, we talked about how it was kind of shocking. They went for uh, traded for Lucas Giolito uh, and Ronaldo Lopez. Well, they've been winless since the deadline. Giolito's had two starts. In those two starts, it's been uh, he's given up twelve earned runs, uh, four walks, only seven strikeouts, and then Carlos Estevez, their closer, who had been pretty lights out all year had given up only nine earned runs the entire season uh in his last three games has blown two big saves and given up nine runs in those games alone so uh angels have lost a lot of distance there arizona's now fallen out of wild card uh position they're they're in the race still but not in an actual position right now and then the reds are are kind of hanging on to one of those spots as well yeah this is uh you know the reds ran into the cubs the the, the big one here is the, the Diamondbacks, right? That was a team that we all really liked to make the playoffs, like to make some big splashes. They kind of came up shy on a, on a bunch of the splashes, right? I mean, they didn't really add in their rotation where they needed to. And they, they picked up some bullpen pieces, but uh, this is that's a team that has a lot of outfield depth. They tried to trade from it, right? But they didn't really give up any of the, I think, necessary pieces to get some interesting arms to, to make that team better. And then, you know, the Angels... The Angels are a whole separate beast. They did go for it, and I think I think that's a commendable. Um, you know, you have to try to make the playoffs in your last year with Shohei Otani. I think that's okay, especially because I bet if they don't, and I bet if Otani signs elsewhere, the owner just sells. So ultimately, it's probably partially you know in that term of ownership. But at the very least, you have to show Shohei Otani you're willing to go for it with him to have a chance at signing him back, which we, we kind of all know he's not going to, but. You know, if they had made the playoffs and made kind of a heroic run, perhaps. But, you know, Shohei does feel – it looks like he's just out there doing it all himself right now. I mean, Grinchuk and Crone haven't done anything for the Angels yet. And 
you know, like you said, Giolito has been really bad. So it's just, it's not something that's worked out for the angels and that's unfortunate, but I don't, I don't hate going for it, but man, they, they passed up a real big opportunity with pulling Shohei off the market a few days beforehand, I think. And I think that's maybe the, the big problem versus just actually going for it here and trying to, to win now. Yeah, I'm with you, David. I mean, for first off, Arizona, I think there was a little bit of fool's gold there all year with them. I think that they got off, they got off to such a great start that I, I expected them to still make the playoffs because of just how many games they had in the bank. But they're a little them in the Marlins to a certain level too are just. I don't think they're quite there yet. I have a lot of confidence that Arizona will at least attempt to spend the money to supplement their roster in the future. Whereas I don't really with the Marlins, but um, I mean, it's unfortunate for them. I mean, Corbin Carroll's had a great rookie year. There's a lot of success story with them uh, this year, even if they don't make the playoffs, but uh, you know, it's probably got to be a little disappointing. And uh, I do think in Seawald under control next year too. So um, you know, that, that they're definitely kind of building for next year as well. Um, the angels, I mean, I was kind of in the boat of the Angels need to um, – that the Angels needed to, uh, to to not sell Utani just because you don't have many opportunities to pl- have a guy like Utani on your team. And mm-hmm. even if you – even if you – you've got to go for it because, I mean, at the time they were five games over 500 and they had it in front of them. I mean they had a 20-something percent playoff odds and – it's just the thing is this year, like there wasn't that piece they could add that really put them over the top. It, it was just like they added a mid rotation guy, Giolito, who's been a little inconsistent for a while, and then I mean they added um, they added Crone and Grichuk and some guy. I mean Crone's been worth like negative WAR this year. Mustakas they added Escobar. They add, they added a bunch of guys, but none of them have been very good this year. So. I mean, I don't really think they mortgage the future because I don't really, even though Cuero is, is a pretty good prospect, I, I really don't think that they've moved anybody that's just a gigantic, you know, loss for them. But, I mean, it, you know, the guys they could have gotten for Otani, I guess it, it kind of sucks. But, I mean, I, I hate it for the Angels. They've been so snake bit in the past. Injuries, I mean, this year, just Taylor Ward got hurt right after the deadline, got hit in the face, and he's out for a while, like – you know, Rendon's contract, I mean, just injuries have just taken their toll on him the entire time he's been in in, in uh, Anaheim. Like, it's just, it's been a mess for the Angels. Uh, Tyler Anderson hasn't worked out. That was a big signing for them in the offseason. Um, and then the Reds, I mean, the Reds are definitely, I think they were just kind of, they're, they were a little bit of fool's gold. Their pitching staff was horrible. I mean, without Hunter Green, without Nick Lodolo, you kind of hoped that those guys would come back and they would be able to keep them afloat. Um, but just without those guys there, I mean, you're running Luke Weaver out there. You're running uh, uh, Ben Lively out there still, I think. Like, yep. I mean, it's Ashcraft. Like, they, they're just they're just not good in the rotation. I mean, Andrew Abbott's been pretty good for them as a guy who is, you know, a, a rookie who's who's been a, a bright spot in the rotation. But they really need to get – back uh green and lindolo to have any shot at sticking in the race and even then i mean it you know it, we'll see but um yeah i mean it's been very interesting since the deadline that you know it kind of goes to show you you know um uh, i think the twins have won like five, six games in a row or something since the deadline when they got so much criticism for not doing anything and arizona and and the and the angels need, have need they both of them made you know three or four pretty big moves and neither one of them have won a game. So it's, it's kind of, you never know what might happen. Yeah. Bob Nightingale crowned the twins, the division champs already. So, you know, I mean, (laughs) well, at least they're not, you know, leading the division with the worst, what would be the worst record in the AL East anymore. So, Hey, there's that. (laughs) It's a step in the right direction. Um, so last Wednesday, uh, I, I believe it was last Wednesday, maybe it was Tuesday night, uh, when we, after we were recording, but, uh, Framber Valdez of the Houston Astros, uh, threw a no hitter. Who were they playing? I totally just blanked it. Uh, oh my. I want to say it's the Mariners, but I could be wrong. I'm going to look it up, but you guys go ahead and talk about the performance. He only walked one, threw under 100 pitches. Uh, 
So um, let me. I'm looking at real quick. Just stick with me. Game log was against Cleveland, so That's that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah, that explains a lot more. Uh, but yeah, so he threw uh, only or seven strikeouts, one walk. Obviously, no hits there. Um, he's been one of the more consistent starters the last couple of years. He's getting lit up tonight against Baltimore, which is funny since we're talking about it. But um, just a really good game and. and was kind of helpful that the, uh, you know, Houston's pitching had kind of been a little underwhelming. And then I think it was like the day of, or the day after the trade for Verlander, they throw a no hitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about, uh, you know, Framber Valdez and he's very much a, uh, a consistency starter, right? This is a guy who's, did he set the record for most quality starts in a row last year? I, I think, I think so. he did. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of been his MO is let me just go out there and give you a good start every single day. I go out there, you know, you don't have to worry about me. It'll be six innings under three runs, right? The thing that he has done, he hasn't been nearly as consistent recently, right? He only, he gave up four runs, um, you know, in three of the four starts before this start uh, where he throw the no hitter. And then today he went and gave up more runs, Right. He hasn't been that good, uh, you know, reliable starting pitcher of late. But when you kind of bottle it all together and get it absolutely right, like against a a team with a weaker lineup like Cleveland, that's the beautiful thing about baseball. Right. Is that you can go out there and and make history on any given night. Really, anybody can at this level. And Framber Valdez is a guy we all had at least somebody. I think it might have been me had him at it in our predictions as a, a Cy Young fit, you know, dark horse, I think. So yeah, it was me. So and actually Damien did too. So there you go. We, we had him as our dark horse for, for Cy Young. He goes in here. He's, he's thrown a no hitter first of the year. I want to say, uh, I think there was another one earlier. Might've been a combined. Right. I, yeah. Combined, I think. It was a combined. Yeah. First, the first true no hitter. Oh, the, the perfect game for Herman. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there was also the, the uh, and, and there was a combined. But... There's combined with the Tigers and the first. Yeah, that's race. right. So you got. I don't, Herman, know, I don't, I don't but... know if we talked about Herman because it was Domingo Herman and it was did. against the A's. Oakland, yeah. Anyway, which also I guess the story not. coming out about Domingo Herman is also yeah. hilarious. We've yeah, we've got more drama to talk about in this <laughs> one. So I'll I'll wrap up my thoughts on Framber with you know. This is not unexpected. It's good to see him getting some love for this and, and a Maddox style performance, which is less than 100 pitches in a in a complete game shutout. You know, and on top of being in a no hitter, is a really really good day. Uh, and Framber is going to be dangerous once they get to the playoffs mm-hmm. if he can kind of get back to that consistency because he hasn't been showing it of late. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, Framber's awesome, and he's been not fantastic the last few, several weeks but he's still awesome so uh, maybe a little bit of regression because he is back he's right in line with his with his numbers on his uh his metrics right now at, at this point after you know a couple bad starts so i mean but he i mean the, this guy he just k- keeps getting better he's an innings eater uh he's starting 135 innings and in 21 starts this year which is awesome and i think he's I think last year he threw well over 200 innings and he does it at, at very good efficiency too. So he, he's, he's just an awesome pitcher and it was cool to see him throw a no hitter, gets the ball on the ground so much too, which is, you know, really impressive. 54% ground ball rate on the season is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so let's, we hinted at the drama here, so let's get into it. It's wild that this isn't our biggest story of that we're talking about so far, but um you know, the Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez got into a a full on brawl at second base. I believe was it Saturday? I think it was Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, right, Saturday. Um basically Jose Ramirez ends up knocking out Tim Anderson there. Um and then there's just a whole bunch more White Sox drama that's coming out with it. So I'll let you guys kind of dive more into the fight and then the actual drama behind the scenes that we are just learning about over the last couple of days. So David, why don't you go ahead and, and start with it? Okay, so the the fight from my perspective was it looked to me like Tim Anderson didn't took exception to Jose Ramirez sliding through his legs, and then 
said something and it started kind of ignited that Jose got up and said something back. And as soon as they started jawing, Tim like slams his glove down and puts up his fists like a UFC fighter um, to which he whiffs three times and Jose hits once and knocks him out. That was, that was the kind of the whole brawl. I, I, I'll let you talk more about that, Matt. What, what interested me more was this kind of unraveled some discussions from elsewhere in the league. Uh, Kenyon Middleton, uh, Lance Lynn kind of commenting or not commenting on players being lazy, sleeping in the bullpen culminates in Jesse Rogers going on uh, a radio show and calling out Yoan Moncada, Ilo Jimenez and Yasmani Grandal as being unlike, you know, Yasmani is being unlikable and not agreeing with the pitchers and, uh, calling out Yoan and Eloy is kind of not working hard and lazy. And it goes all the way to an, an incident getting unveiled that Tim Anderson and Yasmani Grandal got in an altercation in the locker room. <laughs> so, so that, so this, this stemmed all from the fight on Saturday where, you know, the White Sox show their first sign of life in months. And, you know, after a sell-off and all of a sudden now we've got stories of, you know, their players leaving early from, you know, trying to get out of the all-star game early and Yas- Yasmani Grandal, Tim Anderson tried to call him out on it. They end up in a fight. I, th- it's massive dysfunction and it's kind of no wonder that this team ended up performing really poorly this season, despite what, you know, it looked on the surface. What I saw, and I think I agree with this sentiment, is that Jose Abreu leaving created a huge hole in the accountability portion, like the player to player accountability portion of that team, that plus I am shocked that Yasmani Grandal was trying to like leave for the all-star break early. Like I just, if baseball's my job and I'm making, what was he making like $64 million? Like there's no way I'm leaving early. Like <laughs> that's, that's crazy, man. Yeah. I just, it's, it's so bad. And it, it just, it makes sense now as to why the White Sox didn't win anything in this competitive window. Yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like a bad mix of personalities, honestly, um, that they just didn't, you know, and I mean, they've had managerial change. They fired a manager who was doing a good job to bring in somebody because the because the owner of the team was had some kind of like regret from 30 years ago of not hiring or firing Larusa. They brought him in and he didn't really need to be managing and then they I mean, then they hired somebody from the Royals, which is just an even worse decision. So I just – I mean the White Sox are a mess. With the, with the fight, I thought it was – for one thing, I think it's good for baseball because I think that sometimes in the modern day we've had a lot of just – it seems like everyone tries to get along too much. And sometimes you need some guys getting angry at each other, and it, it kind of spices things up a little bit, and that's good. I definitely think Tim Ander- – I, th- I think Jose Ramirez is probably a little bit to blame too, but Tim Anderson – definitely was just looking for a fight i mean there's no reason that little thing should have turned into a fist fight and a brawl which i mean it did um but i thought it was i mean i think it's good for you know i think it's good for baseball you don't want that happening every game but yeah you know it's it's something that you know having some animosity adds a little bit of juice to the game and um yeah i mean the white Sox issues i mean i after hearing all that I was kind of surprised they didn't just do a complete total sell-off at the deadline, like you know, selling like trading Eloy and trading Cease, and I, I mean Cease didn't, didn't have anything to do with that, but just like they just need to kind of blow the whole thing up and go full-blown like Orioles-style rebuild, like where they just, I mean that, I mean what are they what are they doing now? They have no direction now. They sold some pieces at the deadline, but. Like they, they just have their directionless. Are they gonna actually try to contend next year? Like, I mean, I they need to they need to do something about it. And I think that just sometimes you just gotta rid yourself of that clubhouse. Honestly, yeah. What I think it might be the funniest thing of it all is that uh, this probably shouldn't even be happening. Had the White Sox just traded Tim Anderson at the deadline, like they should have. Like, even if it was for I, nothing. Like it was all rumored that he was gonna be gone. Like they're not gonna pick up his club option. Like it's it's pretty clear. Like you just trade him at that point. Um, and they didn't do that. And then obviously you have everything else coming out of Kenny Middleton's comments. And then Lance Lynn like commenting with Middleton, but not commenting on anything. It's just it just seems like a big cluster. 
Um, you know, you we thought that this is like was the dynamic that they had with Tony Larusa, and then like now with you thought, okay, well maybe it's going to be a, a, a fresh start with a guy like Pedro Grifol, and then <clears throat> it to be like even worse than you probably could have thought it would be, um, especially with the first year manager. It's like. Well, if, if that's what he's doing leading the clubhouse, then like what's going on in Kansas City too? Like where you know, what habits did he bring over from there? Yeah. Um, it's just it's really, really odd and it's just like part of me thinking, like, does Griefall even make it out of this year now? No. Like I, there's he's, no way. He, yeah, but like would you like is uh letting saying, but was it Jerry Reinsdorf, is that who it is? Like, is that who he owns it? Yeah. I could be wrong. Um like, you yeah. know, is he going to go want to be on, like, his, what, third manager in three years and, like, fourth in five years or something like that? Like, who the hell knows, man? Like, does, All- is Rick Hahn, like, is he going to get fired, too? No, like, for the too. accountability here? It's like, it's so weird, this whole dynamic here. And then, like, I feel bad for a guy like Dylan Cease, who, like, should have probably been traded then at the deadline, too. And now he's just, like, stuck in the middle of this, like, poverty situation and, like, just knowing that he's going to be traded at some point here in the next like year or two, probably it's like, it, it's a real crappy situation all around. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will say the one to, to close this off, Rick Renteria should have, didn't manage the 2020 through 2022, what, right. 2023 White Sox on his resume and kept them as a you know sane clubhouse. I mean, yeah, that that dude is he, he got passed over for Joe Madden and with the Cubs got passed over for Tony Larusa with the White Sox. He deserves a manager's job somewhere. That yeah. that's my final thought, especially given that you know, what two three different managers have managed the White Sox now, and it seems like it's been just horrible since he left. Yep. Uh, so speaking of horrible managers, let's go to a horrible family managing a team, uh, and that's with the Angelos family and the Baltimore Orioles who suspended broadcaster Kevin Brown for simply saying on a broadcast, uh, Hey, this team hasn't won much here in the past and they've already won more games this season here than they have in the previous two seasons combined. Uh, and that was talking about in Tropicana, uh, field against the Rays. Uh, basically he called, basically said the Orioles have been bad for two years, three years, and then said they're actually a good team now. And the owners took offense to that and has suspended him from TV uh, I've seen that he's supposed to be make his return on the 11th and that he wasn't suspended. That's with air quotes around it. Um, but he, he hasn't been on TV since that day and he was on TV every day before that. Uh, so it's a little bit of a coincidence, but really odd situation. And uh, really, really hope that that wasn't the reason why he's actually off the TV. And if it is, the Angelos family should probably sell, which they should probably sell anyways. But hey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, I mean, I was this if, you, if he's actually, if he's actually being suspended, that's just like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I mean, he was literally talking about how great the Orioles were doing this year, which I mean, it's mm-hmm. no secret that they've been bad the last two years. Like he's talking to, he's saying that they weren't very good and now they're really good. We're doing a really good job here. Like, I, I don't understand why they would be upset about that. I mean, I, I know that there's been times in the past couple of years where owners who are, not the most well liked owners, Art at Marino, have criticized have gotten after certain announcers for criticizing their team. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you're playing like garbage, then you should be, your team should be able to, or your announcers should be able to call you out for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, you know, with when it comes to Kevin Brown, I mean, he. he shouldn't he should be back and i mean i maybe he's maybe there's another reason he's gone and and this isn't the whole thing but like it just makes no sense to me what i what i hate about this is that you know first of all it's the the principle of you know pulling a guy off the air because he said something negative about the team the reason the orioles are good right now is because they spent four or five years being awful uh, that was intentional by the ownership. That was intentional by the front office. They spent years being bad. They 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 forced the fans through a rebuild, a long rebuild. Now that they're winning, it's fair to point out you were bad before now. And then on top of that, the the response from the team was, "Let's figure out who leaked this," as opposed to, "Let's apologize and put Kevin Brown back on the air right now." He was supposedly to to come back this Friday, uh, but 
you know, they now it's kind of a, a whole thing and it's drama that a 70 win, you know, that's about to actually take the lead in Major League Baseball and wins and winning percentage. It's not something it's not drama this team needs. They need to focus on the playoffs. They need to focus on, you know, playing the best baseball they can with these young superstar players they've got going on because they were bad. So I this is just ridiculous. And uh, yeah, announcers need to be able to criticize their teams, period, point blank. Isn't it also like one of the most Orioles things ever that they have a really good team and yet the biggest storyline that we're talking about is their broadcaster being suspended over saying how good they are? <laughs> like It like is really, very Orioles. Yeah. It's it's oh. like very Orioles situation of what goes on behind the scenes, especially with their broadcast and Masson and the Nationals and it, that whole thing's been a crapshoot for I don't even know how long. But it, it's very very Oriole situation that this is what we're having to have come to right now. But uh, anyways, uh, let's go ahead and jump over and talk about our, uh, we've had a couple bit of injury news come out. Uh, the first happened over the weekend, which Josh Jung, uh, the third baseman, rookie third baseman for the Texas Rangers uh, came out with a broken thumb. Uh, he's supposed to miss, I believe six to eight weeks there. Um, they're hoping they can get it back right about the end of the play, uh, right about the end of the regular season, ready for the playoffs. Um, so that's a big loss for the Rangers. We just talked about the deadline they had, but now they're losing one of their top offensive performers. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It also has repercussions on the um, on the rookie of the year race because that pretty much locked it up for Gunnar Henderson in the American League, I think. But uh, Josh Young still had a shot at that, and it sucks. I hate to see that. Um, you know, maybe he'll be back. At, it's one of the situations where, you know, even if he is back, how how rusty is he going to be? Because you've got your, you know, your, you might just have like two or three games before the playoffs that he gets to play in. So hopefully it heals up quick, though, and he can get back a little earlier than that and uh, he can be ready to go for the playoffs. But we'll see. Um, tough loss for the Rangers. Dave, you got anything about it? Nah, go ahead. Keep okay. coming. All right, uh, and then next one that came out is about the Tampa Bay Rays. We've talked about their pitching injuries this year and, and the glut they've had. Well, they've just lost their ace, Shane McClanahan, as well for, it believes, the end of the year for them, or the end of the year for him. Um, they didn't say exactly what the timeline or if, like, the, the injury, like, if he's going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery or anything. That wasn't specified, um, but they said it's highly – likely that his season's done. So the Rays losing another top of the rotation arm and their ace for that rotation. Yeah, this is this throws all the pressure onto Tyler Glass now and Zach Eflin to kind of carry the banner for, for this Tampa Bay team, you know, and, and Eflin especially has been just really, really good, right? 3.46 ERA, uh, you know, 293 FIP. So, you know, he's getting those, those, uh, those results, but also, you know, he's not walking anybody, right? He's got a 1.25 walks per nine, uh, which is just massive. But I mean, they're, they're two, they're, they're other two really good starters this season. And Shane McClanahan and Drew Rasmussen are both on the IL for the season. So is Jeffrey Springs. Uh, you know, this team's going to need, to, you know, to utilize that pitching depth. Uh, and hopefully, you know, for them, Aaron Savale becomes that guy to kind of step into the Shane McClanahan role. And that trade kind of becomes really big because, you know, Savali is going to have to start a playoff game at this point, right? He's going to have to be the, you know, your three starter going in, and you're going to be able to go in with Eflin and Glass now, and you'll probably be able to win, you know, that wild card round with those guys. But it, it, you're you're now asking Aaron Savali to start game one of the NL NLDS, so that, that's that's a big ask, and it would be a lot nicer if Shane McClanahan was back for the playoffs, right? Then you then you can throw him in there, but. Yeah, Rays are Rays are going to need to dig into that pitching depth. Hope that maybe Taj Bradley takes over, you know, with a little bit better than a five six seven ERA that he's thrown to this point. And I this is this is spooky for for Rays fans, and I know they're they're probably nervous about this because uh, that team's that team's going to need every every ounce of that depth they can get going into the playoffs. Yeah, so adding another wrinkle into that, um, I don't know if, if I, I don't know if I shared it in the thing or not, but um, there was a thing that the Rays actually had a deal lined up to acquire Jack Flaherty as well um, at the deadline, who ended up going to the Orioles at the last wow. second. The Orioles Huge. swooped in and upped their offer with a, a prospect that got them 
Jack Flaherty, but there was a deal in place for Flaherty to go to the Rays um, as well. So not only to lose out on getting that other rotation arm, but to lose it to a division opponent who you're fighting for, the, you know, winning the division with um, makes that that loss even a little bit bigger now that you lost McClanahan as well. Yeah, I want to add one thing with the pitching injuries the Rays have. You've got McClanahan, Shane Baz, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs. That rotation probably wins like most playoff series. Yeah, since that's, that's a playoff IL, rotation. All injured. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's just it's unfortunate for the Rays, and luckily for them they had so much depth, and they've done such a great job building that team that they're still not dead even with those injuries. But man, it's so unfortunate for them. Yeah, it is. Um, so one last injury little thing is that uh, Clayton Kershaw is supposed to be making his return this Thursday against Colorado. Uh, he's been out since I believe it was June 27th was his last game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's been over a month, close to a month and a half, um, that he's been out with a, a shoulder like impingement or whatever it was that he had there. So uh, should be making his return to that rotation uh, starting Thursday. So back yeah they do uh um, good i was gonna add one more thing and it just happened a little earlier ronald acuna left the game like immediately after getting hit on the elbow and it looked really bad like they trainer tried to squeeze his hand he tried couldn't squeeze his hand but the ne- x-rays were negative on it they just announced so it might it's probably just a funny bone or something but it was uh scary looking and he might be out for a few games so that's pretty important because he if he's out for any time, then, you know, he's like the MVP front runner. So that, that's a big deal. But <laughs> good thing we're going to talk about that right now. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that sucks. Hopefully it's not a long-term deal for Acuna and he's back in just a, a couple days because he's having a, a tremendous, tremendous season. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to players of the week now and go ahead and start with David. So who's your player this week? I, I couldn't hold off any longer. Uh, he had a he was NL player of the month for July, uh, and he went and started off August really hot as well. Cody Bellinger, uh, my my center fielder, uh, over for the Cubs. He's been a massive reason why the Cubs have been able to get back into the race uh, and have kind of overcome that that late June, early July slump uh, that they kind of ran into, and we're down to I think six percent playoff odds. Cody Bellinger's gone this week and hit. Uh, 538 with a 586 on base and a 731 slugging. He has five stolen bases, nine RBI, and eight runs scored. He's got the tied for second in wins above replacement in that time over a week. And Cody Bellinger, it's one of those things where Damian talked about Cody Bellinger before the Cubs signed him when we talked about him going, you know, getting DFA'd. You don't appreciate what he does for a team until you watch him every day. Watching him every day this season, oh my goodness, this dude is unbelievable. We're gonna we're gonna go over it once we get to his free agency period. But man, oh man, he is he's gonna earn himself a nice hefty contract this season, and it's gonna be absolutely worth it for whoever signs him. The he just looks so locked in right now. It's so awesome to see, and it's so awesome to see him getting back to that MVP form. You know he. You know, if he hadn't gotten hurt in May and he had stayed on this pace over the whole season, he'd probably be in the MVP consideration. But as it is, you know, he's just going to have to lead a team like the Cubs, who who definitely needed this type of performance from that signing. And I'm really, really excited to talk about it. Cody Bellinger, guys, he's been awesome. Yeah, I've talked about Bellinger at length on here. I could talk about him for the next hour myself, um, just about what he's looked like this year. But I'll just wrap it up by by saying that his at-bats this year look like 2018, 2019 at-bats mm-hmm. from Cody Bellinger. His stance and his swing look like 2018, 2019 Cody Bellinger. Now, the peripherals don't back it up all the way, but the eye test shows you that he is looking and making the same kind of swings he was back in that season, even if he's not having as much power production from them. That that The process is there and back to what it was pre-injuries and pre-COVID. So... Uh, anyways, Matt, do you have anything on that one you want to talk about? I mean, uh, yeah, Cody Bellinger's been really, really good, and I, I, I'm with you, Damian. He his at bats are good, and he, he looks good. I I don't know if he's gonna be at the level he's been at so far this year, but going forward, just because he's not hitting the ball super hard, but the, everything else he's doing is really, you know, he's doing really well. So, 
Yeah. Uh, so Matt, who do you have for your player this week? My player this week, I went with Adolis Garcia for the Rangers. Uh, he had a really good week, hit uh, 391 this week, which is uh, you know not the best out there, but he hit four homers, had a one. He was one dot middle and slugging percentage, uh, playing good defense in center field or, or right field. You know, I think they move around a little bit, but he's uh, he's an awesome player. He's turned into just he's he's improved so much since he's these last couple of years, um, and he's he's doing really well for the uh, for the Rangers. So uh, I wanted to shout him out. I know he's been picked before here, but he's having a really good year and had a great week. So. Yeah, he's one of the leaders of that Texas offense, and he's been driving in runs with the best of them this year, and had a really good week. Um, what third and third and war this week? So. Yeah, and he had the highest WRC plus, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so for my player this week, I went with a homer pick as well, just like David. I went with Freddie Freeman. Um, 500 average this week, 545 on base, 867 slugging, a 280 WRC plus led the league in war with almost a full win above replacement this week. Uh, two homers, 10 RB or 10 runs, seven RBIs, three steals. Um, really I went with Freddie Freeman. Not only did he lead the war this week, but I want to talk about the, the, the legitimate case that I think he could have to be in the running for NL MVP. Ronald Acuna Jr. is having an insane season. Like we're, nobody's going to say that he's not. He's hitting 339, 421 on base, 582 slugging, 168 WRC plus, and 6.1 WAR. Right, that's 25 homers, 67 RBIs, 53 steals. That's the big thing. 53 steals. Yeah. You look at Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman's batting 340, which 1.001 better than Acuna. On base is right there, 0.003 less. Slugging more. He has a higher WRC plus. He he is what point four WAR behind or point three WAR behind Ronald Acuna Jr. Twenty three homers compared to twenty five. They both have ninety nine runs. Freddie has more RBIs, eighty to sixty seven. That's because Acuna leads off more than Freeman hits in the two hole. He has the sixteen steals, which I believe is already a career high, if I'm not mistaken, as well. For yeah, it's already a career high. He had thirteen last year. Like if. If Acuna wasn't stealing 53 bases, I feel like the conversation is even closer than it already is. But I feel like it should be a conversation already. And not a lot of people are talking about it. Like, this is the best Freddie Freeman we've ever seen. This is prime Freddie Freeman at this point. And I understand Acuna is having a stupid, insane season. But I feel like there should be an MVP talk here. I, but you're right, right? The The big key is that can Freddie hit enough to separate himself from what Acuna could be at 30, 50, right? 30, 60, 40, 60. It just depends. And hopefully his elbow is okay, right? That, you know, if he's, if he yeah. stops right now, that kind of changes the talks. So you need Acuna to be healthy, but you know, he's just watching him this weekend, right? That him and Matt Olson both are just, they, those guys are unbelievable. I haven't seen Freddie in a few months because the Cubs played the Dodgers in like May. Freddie's that same kind of guy, right? Just absolutely unbelievable to watch every day. Uh, you know, every time up, you're like, oh, well, here's a base hit or hopefully we doesn't homer here. You know, maybe at least we can just walk in. That's the kind of guy, you know, Freddie Freeman is. So uh, I, I certainly wouldn't hate, you know, Freddie Freeman grabbing MVP number two, but he, I, he's just going to have to make up what feels like a deficit of what Acuna is putting together right now is like an all-time great season. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Freddie Freeman and Acuna at the plate have pretty similar numbers, but Acuna plays a tougher defensive position and is like, I mean, even though Freddie's put up a great base running year, like 53 stolen bases is insane. And I mean, it's, it's kind of, I'm kind of surprised the war numbers, honestly, as close as it is, because I mean, if you look at it, like there's three or four things that Ronald does that are obviously better than Freeman and, and and they're basically identical in everything else. So, I mean, they have the same average, same on base, slugging, and Freddie's like 10 points higher. But, I mean, I, I, I don't really think it's – I don't think it's that close right now. But if Ronald does miss some time, I think Freddie Freeman's definitely the number two right now. And, I mean, if Ronald slumps too, I mean, Freddie could catch him. It's not an insurmountable thing right now, but I really don't think uh, – I really don't think there's too much conversation right now. So it could, it could happen though. 
And that, folks, is where you see a Braves fan and a Dodger fan's perspective in this MVP discussion. <laughs> I have not heard a single non-Dodgers fan say that Freddie Freeman should be the MVP. I know. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. that's, where you, that's where you see the the, Brave, the Dodgers fan perspective and saying that, I should, that he should be. Okay. Fred, Freddie's certainly deserving of that talk, though. Like, I, I don't oh, yeah. think it's ridiculous at all to bring him up here. Right? Yeah. The, and I'm, yeah. like I was saying, I, I don't. I've said this in our group chat the other day. I'm not saying that Ronald shouldn't win. All I'm saying is that I feel like the conversation should be a lot closer than like everyone already saying like Ronald's a slam dunk MVP already. Like, like it's really, really damn close. All still like, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, um, anything else that you guys want to wrap up on, um, before we head off? I don't think so. Uh, just, Look forward to next week, maybe doing a little bit of a breakdown and uh, seeing where things stand for the playoff race. Uh, we should be kind of eliminating some teams and pronouncing them dead here soon that have been in the running, like uh, Angels, um, which probably <laughs> can be done now. But uh, maybe give them one more week before you totally pronounce them dead. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's been interesting. The post-trade deadline has been interesting, and um, we'll see what happens. It'll be good rest of the season i i i gave those weak numbers for cody bellinger he did homer tonight just wanted to point that out he improved on his player of the week status just just so you know just throwing it out there that's all cody bellinger's awesome i'm not going to disagree with that one but yeah next week we will be doing <laughs> a division breakdown um and highlighting all of the the races and, and kind of like matt said just kind of overlooking where things stand at this point and looking ahead to the last like seven weeks um of the season from that point um and then get ready for the uh the stretch run so thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batfoot podcast and we'll catch you guys back next week <laughs>